0: Functions of literary criticism The functions of literary criticism vary widely, ranging from the reviewing of books as they are published to systematic theoretical discussion. Though reviews may sometimes determine whether a given book will be widely sold, Many works succeed commercially despite negative reviews, and many classic works, including Herman Melville's Moby Dick 1851, have acquired appreciative publics long after being unfavorably reviewed and at first neglected. One of criticism's principal functions is to express the shifts in sensibility that make such revaluations re- re- possible. The minimal condition for such a new appraisal is, of course, that the original text survives. The literary critic is sometimes cast in the role of scholarly detective, unearthing, authenticating and editing unknown manuscripts. Thus, even rare scholarly skills may be put to criticism's most elementary use. The bringing of literary works to a public's attention. The variety of criticism's functions is reflected in the range of publications in which it appears. Criticism in the daily press rarely displays sustained acts of analysis and may sometimes do little more than summarize a publisher's claim for a book's interest. Weekly and bi weekly magazines serve to introduce new books but are often more discriminating in their judgments, and some of these magazines such as the London Times Literary Supplement and the New York Review of Books are far from indulgent towards popular works. Sustained criticism can also be found in monthlies and quarterlies with a broad circulation, in little magazines for specialized audiences and in scholarly journals and books. Because critics often try to be lawgivers, declaring which works deserve respect and presuming to say what they are really about. Criticism is a perennial target of resentment. Misguided or malicious critics can discourage an author who has been feeling this way toward a new mode that offends a received taste. Pedantic critics can obstruct a serious engagement with literature by deflecting attention towards essential matters. As the French philosopher critic Jean-Paul Sartre observed, the critic may announce that French thought is a perpetual colloquy between Pascal and Montaigne, not in order to make those thinkers more alive, but to make thinkers of his own time more dead. Criticism can antagonize authors even when it performs its functions well authors who regard literature as needing no advocates or investigators are less than grateful when told that their works possess unintended meaning or are imitative or incomplete. What such authors may tend to forget is that their work once published belongs to them only in a legal sense. The true owner of their work is the public, which will appropriate them for its own concerns, regardless of the critic. The critic's responsibility is not to the author's self-esteem, but to the public and to his own standards of judgment, which are usually more exacting than the public's. Justification for his role rests on the premise that literary works are not in fact self-explanatory a critic is socially useful to the extent that society wants and receives a fuller understanding of literature than it could have achieved without him. In filling this appetite, the critic's want is further helping to create a public that cares about artistic quality. Without sensing the presence of such a public, an author may either prosecute his talent or squander it in a clear act of defiance. In this sense, the critic is not a parasite, but potentially someone who is responsible in part for the existence of good, writing in his own time and afterward. Although some critics believe that literature should be discussed in isolation from other matters. Criticism usually seems to be openly or covertly involved with social and political debate. Since literature itself is often partisan, is always rooted to some degree in local circumstances, and has a way of calling forth affirmations and ultimate values. It is not surprising that the finest critics have never paid much attention to the alleged boundaries between criticism and other types of discourse especially in modern Europe. Literary criticism has occupied a central place in debate about cultural and political issues. Sartre's own What is Literature, 1947, is typical in its wide-ranging attempt to prescribe the literary intellectual's ideal relation to the development of his society and to literature as a manifestation of human freedom. Similarly, some prominent American critics, including Alfred cousin Lionel Thrilling, Kenneth Burke, Philip Rao and Irving Hove, began as political radicals in the 1930s and sharpened their concern for literature on the dilemmas and Disillusionments of that era. Thrilling's influential the, Li- the Liberal Imagination 1950 is simultaneously a collection of literal essays and an attempt to reconcile the claims of politics and art. Such a reconciliation is bound to be tentative and problematic if the critic believes, as thrilling does, that literature possesses an independent value and a deeper faithfulness to reality than is contained in any political formula. The Marxist states, however, literature has usually been considered a means to social ends and, therefore, criticism has been cast in rightly partisan terms. Dialectical materialism does not necessarily turn the critic into a mere guardian of the party doctrine, but it does forbid him to, take, to treat literature as a cause in itself, apart from the working class's needs as interpreted by the party, where this utilitarian view prevails, the function of criticism is taken to be continuous with that of the state itself, namely for revolution. The critic's main obligation is not to to his text, but rather to the masses of people whose consciousness must be advanced in the designated direction. In periods of severe orthodoxy, the practice of literary criticism has not always been distinguishable from that of censorship. Thank you.